Last episode was 264, not 265. Oops. We'll get all that fixed for you. But today, more draft heat for your headphones. Combination. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 265 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Also, if you would like to support the podcast, you could join in as a Combos Court patron. We have two tiers, and on one of those tiers, you could get patron-only exclusive Combos Court episodes, at least one per month. Check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Another way to support is, man, share this episode. Share this episode. Share it on Instagram stories. Share it on Facebook. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Twitter. Share it everywhere on social media, man. And of course, share it with a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combo's Court Podcast. We here at Combo's Court would greatly appreciate it. Today's show, Raphael Barlow of NBADraftJunkies.com and host of Locked On NBA Draft joins in to discuss the 2021 NBA Draft and more. A fantastic conversation. You can find Raphael on Twitter at Barlow500. That's B-A-R-L-O-W-E-5-0-0. You could also find him on Twitter at NBA Draft Junkies. That's N-B-A-D-R-A-F-T-J-U-N-K-I-E-S. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Raphael Barlow of DraftJunkies.com, host of Locked On NBA Draft. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, anytime. It's great hearing you talk NBA Draft. Um, what was your background leading up to becoming a scout and a draft analyst? Oh, man, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, let me try to think of the condensed version. I guess it 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 really started to move for me. I want to say 2010, 11, I had a, I'm trying to come up with the short version, but I feel like there's so many pieces to the story. Now nah, go ahead with it. You got it. So I, um, all right. So let's go 2010. I got this internship with the LA Clippers and I was living in LA and I was just out there briefly, at least to my, I wasn't planning on being there long-term. And I got this internship with the Clippers. And right when I was deciding to move back to Dallas, I'm based out of Dallas. Um, that's when I got the internship with the Clippers. And um, it was unpaid. And I ended up having to, like, take classes for it. In order, It had to be, like, for college credit. And what makes the story even funnier is the school I chose to go to was East L.A. Community College from okay. – Last Chance U, this past season of Last Chance U. Yeah, I actually had uh, Coach Mosley on the pod recently. Okay. I, you know, yeah. I did see that. I did see that. So, yeah, I ended up going to East L.A. Community College, and I was taking, like, kickball, P.E. classes, something just so I can get credit to. Was it was it with Coach Mosley? Did you take the, no, uh, he wasn't. the, the cycling class? No, I, I, just, I literally took P.E. Like, it was okay. P.E. And okay, we were okay. doing basketball fundamentals and all of that stuff. It was a total waste of my time. 
And what ended up happening is I knew once I got the internship, I knew that I had just spent my money on getting a, a place in that back in Dallas. And I was actually like in transition to move back to Dallas when I heard I got the internship. So I gambled on um, finding out a way to survive and, and get paid, considering that I had to be there for game days and all of that and didn't go to school. So I ended up getting evicted. <laughs> so oh, man. I got evicted. And uh, then like two days later, like I had a my engine went out in my car. So it was like a point where it was just like back to back, like bam, bam. And the day that I had the issue with my car, I couldn't make it to work or to the internship. So I got fired because it was like, a, you know, it's the first week and you didn't show up. Right. So I ended up coming back to Dallas with like literally nothing, no money in my pocket. And I, I, I just took a, a gamble on myself and I started working with the Texas Legends and it was their first year and I was an intern. So I ended up having to do everything from washing laundry, driving the team vans, rebounding for guys, just the whole grunt work of stuff. And um, I had some previous experience working for like I ran an internship program. So even though I was an internship, even though I was an intern with the Legends, I asked them, I said, man, if you guys just give me like some business cards on the desk, I'll run your internship program. Even though I am an intern, nobody has to know I'm an intern and I'll just kind of delegate tasks and stuff like that for other interns. So that kind of made me look like an employee, even though I wasn't getting paid <laughs> pennies. So, so then I, I say like my first big break was Chris Douglas Roberts, CDR. A lot of people remember oh, him from Memphis with Derrick Rose. Played with Jersey for him. a little bit, right? Played with the Nets yep. for a little bit? Yep. Yep. So I started working with him as his trainer. And then I created like a video series for him called I'm Not a Star. And basically it was just to document his journey back to the NBA. Once I started working with him, he, he brought me everywhere, everywhere he went. So I went with him to Charlotte. I went with him back to Los Angeles. So it's kind of ironic, you know, four years later, the Clippers fired me and then I'm back working with one of their one of their players so the same lady that fired me had to give me credentials to every game so that was kind of uh interesting but yeah so that kind of like opened doors up for me once I started working with Chris and then that led to you know different relationships but the big break as far as like the scouting was um I was uh, I want I always wanted to start a NBA draft website I used to read NBA draft.net all the time I remember when draft express first started and I always wanted to kind of do my own thing to it. And then um, I, I went to a family vacation. I was in Paris with my, my parents and I tweeted, man, I would love to live abroad one day. And um, I mean, you, you, you've played overseas, so you kind of know how, how different it is. But I was up for that challenge. And once I posted that tweet, I didn't know like an agent would see it and ask me, was I interested in living overseas and spending a season. And I ended up doing that. So um, for that particular time, I went with Epe Udo when he was playing with Fenerbahce. And it was just a perfect storm of events. They won the EuroLeague title. He won EuroLeague MVP. And my job there was just kind of create content, trying to document his experience for the whole season. And we started like in the preseason all the way until, you know, then winning the EuroLeague and the Turkish League. So that was perfect. But while I was over there, I took a real interest in the international side of scouting. So I went to all like the under 18 events, Adidas Next Generation Tournament events. I went to like events in Egypt. Um, I think that was the under 19s. 
So that was the year like RJ Barrett, like Torch Team USA. And I just kind of went from there. And I think like the niche that has separated me from other guys is I'm this American guy that knows the international prospects that has actually seen them live and in person as opposed to just watching their film. So that's kind of been the niche that has put me in this position. Yeah, it's interesting. So when I first went overseas and you know the international game well, we had the trapezoid lane. We had a funky three-point line. Did you People, did you get called for travel every time you put oh, the ball on the floor? There was one year it was crazy. It was crazy. I think it was like a bunch of them in a game. And it was crazy one year. But that too, and then they were fouling in transition for no reason. And uh, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. But, you know, I mean, I feel like the game is more similar now than ever, right? What differences are there in today's international game when you're comparing it to the um, to the American game today in the modern era. Hmm, that's 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 an interesting question because I still feel like sometimes overseas they play an older style basketball as far as like with the fouls and yeah. it being really physical. So I think there's aspects where overseas has some old school NBA, and then I feel like the current NBA has, you know, as far as like the, the bigs being skilled and the floor spacing and the ball movement and all of that. So I think it's a little bit of half and half because one of the first things I noticed when I went over there is how like physical you can be off the ball. You can literally beat somebody up when they don't have the ball. In their hands. Yeah. There's a reason why the leading scorer in EuroLeague is usually around 1920. I mean, yeah. obviously the game is shorter as well. So, but the lane is congested. They still sometimes they play two bigs. I mean, the bigs are are skilled, but right. Yeah, there's not as much floor spacing. So that's why I say it, like it's it, it's a combination of of old school NBA in Europe, and then the NBA has adopted some of the the style of play that Europe had in the past. So, I mean, I, I like this era of basketball. I know a lot of people don't like it. I like it too. They, you know, they like the 93 to 87 grinded out games. I, I don't, I like this era of basketball. Jokic is probably going to be the MVP, but if he was playing in EuroLeague, he probably wouldn't even put up these numbers. Oh, of course not. I mean, yeah. like, Mike but, I mean, people, people, like, people who aren't familiar probably think like, oh, Jokic would average like, 40 overseas but then they then they don't realize that like the leading score is like 1920 yeah they don't you know people say that they don't yeah they've never been they've never seen like even when luca made the comment that it was easier to score in the nba than it was in europe made total sense people, made yeah total. people were offended by it they thought it was arrogant but not knowing i could see how a person would feel that way but for me i had an advantage because i spent the year over there and i understood how slow paced the game is how physical it is how you know like you said the fouling on the fast breaks um there's a that guy was so that annoying <laughs> you know it, it used to just it used to cause teams you just have to pass up the ball like you couldn't like it was hard to kind of play like a draymond style of play where you dribble up because they would just foul you use yeah. your fouls you know yeah i mean there was a guy so when i was you know spent the year around Fenerbahce there's a guy costas lucas he was the best i've ever seen that i mean as, as soon as the ball was turned over he knew how to reach and grab somebody and he stuck his hand up in the air and it just took away so many fast break opportunities. Yeah. You know, do you feel that Darko hurt international players in terms of their draft stock? And then Luca kind of tipped that scale back. Definitely. I've had this conversation so many times, like for example, and no, no knock on Derek Williams. 
but Derek Williams was the number two pick in the draft, and he was out of the NBA by like 27, 28. Nobody holds that against every player that came from Arizona. Hashim Thabit was the number two pick. He flamed out. Nobody holds that against players from UConn. But Darko, every, it was every European player, it was held against them, at least in the eyes of fans, of, oh, there's going to be another bus, another Darko. I mean, even like Rubio, I feel like Rubio's had a pretty good career. But the hype surrounding him, a lot of people feel like he hasn't lived up to the hype because they were expecting him to be like this, you know, multi-time all-star, superstar. But he's been a starter for, you can say, probably like 10 years now, which is tough. I think to me personally, I think it's a very good career. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the average fan realizes how difficult it is to be an NBA starter for like 10 years straight and rubio's been pretty much that but yeah i I feel like you know we saw it a lot with luca the next darko he's a bust he's slow he's this he's that and i think with darko it definitely hurt that his career didn't pan out the way they expected but of course him being drafted ahead of bosh and carmelo and Dwayne wade and you know it just kind of made it tough for international prospects and i honestly feel that that's probably the reason why luca didn't go number one because maybe, well, I feel like Phoenix was going to take Aiton anyway because of the ties with Robert Sarver and at University of Arizona and DeAndre Aiton. But maybe Sacramento was scared because they didn't want the backlash. Yeah, yeah. And I think, as I said before, I think Luca. you know, I asked you if Luca tipped it back, and I think he did. And I even think it helped Denny's draft stock last year. Like, I think yeah. Luca just having so, so much success really helped him. I think Denny's going to be a good NBA player. I don't think he'll be Luca, but I just think that it helped his draft stock a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So, look, I wanted to talk about some of the uh, prospects from America first before we get into international prospects. Do you feel March Madness storylines hold too much weight at times when decision makers or even, you know, evaluators in the media are looking at these prospects? Because I feel that, you know, Jalen Suggs and Davion Mitchell, I think they're great players, but I think what happened in March Madness helped them a lot. And then a guy like Scotty Barnes, who I would actually have in my top five now, he didn't have any crazy storyline during the NCAA tournament. Do you feel that goes into consideration when decision makers and even evaluators in the media are looking at these prospects? It can. I mean, we're, we're human. So, yeah. you know, what's the saying? You're only good as your last game. And the last memory of, you know, like Davion Mitchell, you can't help but, you know, remember how well he played and how good he looked leading Baylor to a national championship. Right. I mean, I've seen his stock skyrocket. I definitely have. Uh, I felt like Jalen Suggs was going to be a, a top five pick regardless. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess the best example I can think of was Jabari Parker was awful. And I forgot yeah. who they lost to that year. Um, like Bucknell or something. I don't know. Whoever Duke lost to, he still went number two or three in the draft. Um, I don't think Chris Paul's last game in the NCAA, tur- NCAA tournament was good. Um, did they lose to like St. Joe's? So it didn't really hurt his draft stock, but we have seen cases where, you know, like I want to say Joe Alexander had a good NCAA tournament run and then he had a really good, you know, pre-draft combine and it helped his stock. Yeah, as far as Scotty Barnes, I mean, you're the first person I've seen have him top five. I mean, I've seen him in the six or seven range. Um, I'm, even though it's your show, I'm curious to see who are you bumping out of the top five? for Scotty Barnes. 
Yeah, I don't have my list in front of me, but I kind of posted who my top five would be. And Mm -hmm. it would be Cade Cunningham at one, Jalen Green at two, Evan Mobley at three, Scotty Barnes at four, and Jalen Suggs at five. Why do you – yeah, why do – what do you say? So Kaminga would be the odd man out. Yeah. Why do you think Kaminga is higher on most drafts? On most on most draft boards, why does consensus have Kaminga higher than Barnes in your opinion? Because he's probably like a year younger, maybe okay. a year and a half younger, and he played at a higher level. You know, he he was, you know, the G League. You can say the G League is a higher level than college basketball. And then also the the big question I have, and not just me, a lot of other people have, is like Scotty Barnes scoring. Like, how is he going to score, and like what? does he do on offense because in my opinion unless he becomes a threat to score it will limit his effectiveness as a playmaker in the half court defensively kind of like Rubio totally different player but that's what happened with Rubio yeah I mean like you know like I've always felt like the best passer in the best passers and playmakers in the NBA are also big time threats to score they can beat you different ways and I feel like if you're not really a threat to score, teams will start playing you for the pass. If they know you're not going to attack the rim, then once you run the pick and rolls, they're going under and they're staying with the roll man. And, you know, as far as like vision and instincts, I think Rubio's definitely in the top 10. But, yes, you know, yes. you look at, to me, the best passers in the NBA are Chris Paul, Jokic. James Harden, Jokic, Jokic Doncic. Bron, all these Trey Young, all these guys can give you 30 at any given time. Even like with Steve Nash, I forgot which series it was. Was it Dallas? They tried to play him to score. And I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And he scored like 40 or 30. With Scotty Barnes, I don't know if he can do that. He doesn't even look to score enough, in my opinion. So I think in order for him to maximize his potential and his playmaking ability, he's going to have to find ways to you know, put the ball in the basket, whether it's the posting up or, you know, outside shooting. So that would be the reason why I think Kaminga is ahead of him. Yeah. As much as I like Ben Simmons game, I'm probably higher on Ben Simmons game than most. I mean, at least, at least Scotty Barnes will shoot it once in a while. That's a start. Uh, He definitely has to get his jump shot. He definitely has to get his jump shot better, but on the defensive side, he's already NBA ready. In my opinion, like he could probably guard one through four. Some would argue one through five. And then mm-hmm. I just like the way he could initiate offense and make everybody around him better. And he's a great passer with his passing. I'd like to see him make more passes with one hand. He likes to touch it with two before he passes it, but that's kind of nitpicking. He has the vision. That's yep. more like execution, but that's why I like him. I just think he's an NBA level ready defender and he's has great vision, you know, great, great. Yeah, I, I agree. And the Ben Simmons, I don't know if you necessarily made a comparison, but I think right. like with Ben, he's always going to be good in the regular season, but I think his, inability to score is really going to be exploited in the playoffs. I know like the past, not last year because he didn't play, but the year before they just tried to like hide him at the dunker spot and yeah. it just made the lane was condensed for Embiid. But again, they, they had Simmons and Horford and Embiid on the floor at the same time. So there wasn't a lot of floor spacing, but I think in the playoffs this year, we'll see if Philly again, like if Ben Simmons lack of scoring actually hurts them in the playoffs because I imagine teams are just kind of sag off of him and and just try to find ways to make him beat them on offense in the half court 
Yeah, I think Ben Simmons never had a tailor-made offense around him. Like, I would love to see him play with four shooters or four guys that could space the floor and him. That's not really – I mean, Joel Embiid's not a bad shooter, but that's not always the case when it comes to the Sixers. And also, you know, I mean, Joel's always posting up. It's just not the perfect team for Ben. Well, I I agree with that in a sense, but I figure, like, if the team is going to be tailor-made for him with shooters, he's still going to have to score. You know, like I look at Giannis, the team is tailor made for him, but he'll go out and score 30. Exactly. Like I, I would love to see Ben. I think Ben can average a lot in a situation like Giannis has because he'll have all that space. He'll get to the lane. He can finish with either hand. He's athletic. He could run the lane. But yeah, he doesn't shoot it. He doesn't want to get fouled either. Yeah. Late in games. That's another thing. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah. So let's shift to international prospects. Hey, you're not the only one that's not as high on Ben as me, so. But I was I was all Brandon Ingram coming into the draft, and you know the first year like or so, like <laughs> everybody was like, "See, you're awful." It's no comparison. So now that the gap is at least, I feel like it's closed some. Even though the Pelicans got to win, like yeah, they're just not it, winning. It, it's always great to see the guys you're high on do well in the NBA and thrive. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah you can make a case and say Jalen Brown might, you know, in a redraft could go number one. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. All right, so let's shift to international prospects. I know that's a niche for you. I know that's a specialty for you. Sangoon, when we see a player that young playing in a domestic league like Turkey, which is probably the second best domestic league internationally, um, with stats like that, you really can't ignore it, right? I mean, he does have a traditional big man game, which could be a concern somewhat, but he passes it well and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on Sangoon? I like him. like him a lot. Had a chance to watch him play two years ago, and I thought he was good. I thought he was going to have, like, a a shot at the NBA, maybe late first-round pick, second-round pick, play a few years, and go back home and dominate. I did not see this, this development. He's lost a little bit of weight since then. And, I mean, ever since I saw him, he always had good touch around the basket. was always, like, a throwback, low-post score, had good footwork. But the number, like you said, the numbers he's putting up, you can't deny those numbers. And I agree. I think the ACB is probably the best domestic league. And I would say the Turkish league is number two. And you can make a case and say he's the best player in the Turkish league. I mean, 19 and nine or 20 and 10, give or take a few numbers, is impressive at 27, 28. And he's doing it as a, a teenager. Where would you have him on a big board around his range? So I think in the last mock I had, I had the Thunder selecting him in the lottery. Okay. So it's really moving up because I think some people have him like in the mid twenties, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen him as high as I've seen him in lottery on some other ones. I think like Tankathon may have him in the lottery or close to that range. I think like, I mean, it's going to be all about fit. I think the Thunder would be a good fit. I mean, they're swinging for the fences and gambling on young guys anyway. So um, the one thing that they I mean, I guess if you think Moses Brown is their center of the future, but I, I think that um, they would uh, take a shot at, at him. It's man, it, it may just come down to fit. You know, there's some teams that may not like him because he's, a, you know, like you said, like a throwback center. I think if he was born in or if this was the 2011, I'm sorry, 2001 draft, he's a top five pick. Yeah. The question is, can you guard anyone and can you guard everyone? Who do you see them guarding at the NBA level? Mm, You know, I mean, I think it'll be a drop coverage big. 
Yeah. Um, similar to, to Nurkic in a sense. So, yeah. um, you know, even like Jokic is a drop coverage big. Yeah. Not saying he's Jokic, not, you know, the playmaker that Jokic is. But, um, and I had even made this comparison on the Chad Fort podcast. Jokic wasn't putting up the numbers that Shingun is at the right. same stage. And right. so I, I think for him, the biggest thing will be um, defensively. He's, he's, I mean, he's a good shot blocker in Turkey, but if he can extend his range and be able to space the floor, I think that is going to be a big question, which he has to touch. I mean, you watch his touch around the rim, you know, he has a soft touch and a good feel. So it's definitely going to be about extending his range and being able to defend in space. But I mean, I think Nurkic is doing well in the NBA. He's a starter on the, you know, a, a, a pretty good playoff team. So if he has a, not if he has a Nurkic type impact or career, then you can say if he goes into the late lottery, then yeah. you know you got good value for that pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're saying in the modern game it's going away from the big man, but. Two of the top five MVP nominees. Yeah, they're international MVP. players and they're yeah. bigs. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's on one hand you can see it, but on the other hand, if you're, I mean, and those guys are throwback centers. They're both wide body, yeah, low post bigs, and uh, but yeah, I mean, they're two international guys, and then you know Giannis is uh, even. I mean, he has the height of a of a big. He's another yeah, international guy, and. His name isn't really being mentioned in the MVP conversations because of voter fatigue or whatever, but he's having just as good a year as he had last year. So it's uh, his name should be heard, heard more. Definitely. Yeah. I would say Josh Giddy is rising at this point. Would mm-hmm. you have him as the number one international prospect in the 2021 NBA draft? No, I would, I would take a Garuba over him. Okay. What do you like about Garuba? And then you could expand upon uh, Josh Giddy's game, if you will. I like Garou because he's probably outside of Scotty Barnes, I think maybe the most NBA-ready defender. And he's playing at a high level. I mean, you've played overseas, so you know if you're yeah. playing minutes for Real Madrid as a teenager, you, you have to be pretty special. Yeah, and those he's guys do well. Guy. That I mean, guys that just play internationally at such a young age and do well, I mean, it's a pretty good track record of that. Yeah, especially if they play. Like, we've seen guys that were, like, on the team. Like, I want to say Bender was on Maccabi, but he didn't necessarily play. Right, right. And, and Denny last year, like, he, I think he was MVP of the Israeli League, but maybe didn't play as much in Euro- Yeah. Oh, in the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe didn't play as much in EuroLeague. So it was right. Yeah. yeah, it's like they started really kind of letting him go later, later right. in the season yeah. um, in, in the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, to play for Real Madrid, who they were – you know, a game away from the final four this year. They end up losing late in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, a, I think he's an NBA ready defender. He's like six, eight, seven, two wingspan. And, you know, he, I think his game just translates because he plays hard. He can be your energy guy. He can get you a bunch of points off of just dump offs and hustle plays. He's improving as a shooter and uh, also like a ball handler, not as far as, you know, handling the ball, breaking guys down, but just being able to make a few plays off the dribble. And he's a very, very underrated passer, has a really good feel for the game as far as just like making plays for others and making quick decisions. So I just think his game translates and he may have the he may be the safest international who, prospect. Who who would be the safest? Um Garuba. Okay. Okay. And yeah. Giddy? I like Giddy too. He he's fun to watch. You know, you can make a case and say that. 
the numbers that he's put up this season are similar to LaMelo Ball's last year. Yeah, yeah. But he's, you know, you don't find guys at that size, at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, however tall he's listed. I mean, somebody had told me that he's 6'9 now, that he's grown a couple inches. But, yeah, you just don't find guys at that size that are just wizards with the basketball. He's just a incredible passer, good feel for the game. And he's like this unique prospect that is slow. Like he lacks ideal NBA athleticism and burst and speed. But even though he's slow, his game is suited for a fast paced NBA game because he's, and he's like a triple double threat. And once he gets the rebound, I mean, he's whipping that ball up the court. He's a high risk passer, but he's also pretty good at taking care of the ball. But just as far as like excitement and just fun to watch, he's in my opinion, one of the most, fun players that I can just sit back and watch his film and and just kind of like be amazed at how he whips these passes all across the floor. And he got some nice craft finishes. Got some nice yeah. finishes around the lane. It, it, Plays it, at his own pace. Yeah. And you can't really speed him up. Yes. That, that's yes. what I like about him. His, his yes. IQ is advanced for, you know, an 18 year old. I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Some okay. really quick ones. All right. And then we'll get out of here, all right? My seat's getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Suggs or green? Uh, whew. Man, that's a tough one. <sighs> I'm going to go with I'll go with green. We have a bigger NBA sample size. Actually, one guy has no NBA sample size. But out of these two guys, knowing what you know now, who would you take, Mobley or Wiseman? Mobley. Corey Kispert or Johnny Juzang? Kispert. Is Garza a first-round pick or a second-round pick? He might not even get drafted. <laughs> wow. Even though he's had, like, an incredible career, I, I just think that, like you said, who can you guard? But then again, you never know because the kid out of Kansas went in the first round last year. Uh, I don't think he – I haven't seen him play NBA Minute uh, as a bookie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. John Morant or Trey Young? Ja. I'm with you on that one. EuroLeague or G League? EuroLeague. 96 or 03 draft? <laughs> I just had this conversation with some friends. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think the number of all-stars is the exact same from, yeah. from that class. It's close. It's close. But, um, oh, man. I'm going to go with 96. Dennis Rodman or Draymond Green? <laughs> I'm so biased on this. I'm taking Draymond. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I don't yeah, know. it's it's me being it's me being biased. Um, but yeah, I just I'm taking Draymond because I think that he could. I mean, he can't, nobody can rebound like Rodman. I think he can give you the similar defensively, but on the offensive end, I mean, he, I just. His IQ on offensive end of the floor is is off the charts. Except I don't know this new Draymond where he can't score anymore. It's kind of it's kind of hard to watch. His shooting has kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah, he said it was something with his hip, and he's had an issue like when he dips on the shot, and he said it's just kind of thrown everything off. Dwayne Wade or Scottie Pippen? Oh man, Pippen. I think we answered this one already, but. Tougher to average 25 points per game. Euroleague or NBA? 
Oh, EuroLeague. I don't know who's the last guy to average 25 points per game in the EuroLeague. Right. But it'd be interesting if we put a high, high level NBA prime player, like let's say Bradley Beal. I think he could get 25. Well, I mean, like Luca was, he averaged what, 20 as a rookie? And maybe 13, 14? He was, a, he was a year younger. He was a year younger. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like a Bradley Beal would, would break 20. I think he would. Mike James, I mean, I like, think he Mike James was at 19, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think he could. It's just will a system yeah. and a team allow him to. That's true. That's true. It, you know, Europe is totally different. They'll just sit you out for like three-fourths of a game for no reason, like as, your, as their best player. Like just interesting yeah. and random things happen like that all the time. Yeah. You may not start the game because they feel like it's the matchups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, it's definitely easier in the NBA. Raphael, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Hope to do it again soon. Where can we find you on um, social media and everywhere else? Yeah. Uh, well, my website is nbadraftjunkies.com. You can type in NBA draft junkies on YouTube and you can see like my video breakdowns, Barlow, 500 b-a-r-l-o-w-e 500 on on um twitter but you can type in my name rafael barlow and it'll come up i guess i probably need to change all my names to match (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah um but yeah so yeah barlow 500 on twitter and then on instagram it's it's you can just type in my name rafael barlow r-a-f-a-e-l b-a-r-l-o-w-e rafael keep up the great work you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon No problem, man. Thank you for having me on. I I really appreciate you reaching out to me and just showing interest in my work. So I I definitely plan to come on again. Thank you so much. I recommend your work to everybody out there listening. Hope to do it again soon. Yep. No problem. Later. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Appreciate the continued support. A big shout to Raphael for joining in. Go check out NBADraftJunkies.com. Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate review, and punch down on that subscribe button. The best way to support Combos Court is to check out the Patreon page and become a Combos Court patron. There's two tiers, and on one of those tiers, you will get exclusive Patreon-only Combos Court episodes. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Another way to support the pod is to share this episode. Share it on your Instagram stories. Share it on Twitter. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Facebook. Share it on all of your social media platforms. And of course, share it with a friend, man. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combo's Court Podcast. Be on the lookout for episode 266. Combo out.